0: What would you consider have been your career highlight and a little bit about that experience?
1: Um, Sure, I mean, certainly the Olympic gold medal, um, you know, that's a good weekend. (laughs) 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 That kind of works.
2: Welcome to the Major League Eventing Podcast, the show for eventing fans by eventing fans.
0: And Karen, it's a very special one year anniversary.
2: Yes. With Main and tail,
0: Main and tail. So Main and tail joined us one year ago. Um, Really have been fantastic partners, so they're amazing. They are amazing. So Main and Tail, uh, Straight Arrow is the parent company who also runs exhibitors and Cowboy Magic, and we've done some promotions and giveaways with with all three of the brands. And we just can't thank the folks over at Straight Arrow enough. Thank you so much for everything you've done. Great people, and we just uh, if you're a fan of this show and you really want to say thank you to us. Thank our sponsors, thank Mane & Tail, Cowboy Magic, and Exhibitors, and try to use their products. We sure do appreciate it. And Karen, we have another reviewer of the week.
2: Yes, it is JWC0909. Love this podcast. Some of my favorite episodes are the ones with multiple riders discussing all the different topics in eventing. Keep up the great work.
0: Hey, thank you so much. We love it. The round tables. Round, tables. The round tables. They Everybody are a loves. lot of fun. Everybody loves the round tables. Yeah, we have to do some more roundtables, Karen. So maybe now's a good time with a little bit of downtime. So that is awesome. So, Karen, uh, we, we appreciate that so much. What's the name of the reviewer of the week?
2: JWC 0909.
0: JWC 0909. Excellent work by you. Thank you so much for that review. And if anyone else wants to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or any other... Uh, Podcatcher out there, we sure do appreciate it. And as usual, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Equest File. Now, listen: if you're at home and you're listening to this podcast, odds are you have at least one horse. You probably have more than one, because Karen, horses are like potato chips. <laughs> Can't, you n-
2: cannot just have them. right.
0: <laughs> Equest File is for everyone who owns a horse, whether it's one horse, five horses, whether you run a farm, whether you have a boarding facility, or you're an eventer with a couple of horses under you. Whether you have people that work for you, mm-hmm. can help and take care of your horses. If you have a vet come out, if you have a farrier come out, if you have a nutritionist, or owners, or horse owners, eQuest File is for you. It's an equine data management software. It's accessible by your phone, tablet, computer. Every person who you want to put on this software can access it by their own device. So if you're a competitor and you're out of state and you have to contact your working student or your barn manager at the farm, you just go on your phone. You put down what you want done. If you have a farrier coming out or a vet coming out, you can put down what horses need what mm-hmm. horse. You know, Mary Legs loses a shoe. Mary Leg lost a shoe. When the farrier comes out, he knows who he's got to go. To. Right. He's got a list. No more Call him back to the farm. Oh, did I forget something? I got to call back. Long distance. You can do it from your, your your on top of your horse or wherever.
2: And if you have owners, you can post videos and updates of what's going on with absolutely. that horse.
0: Absolutely. So here's what everyone has to do. You absolutely have got to give this a shot. First off, you're going to say to yourself, what did I ever do before eQuest file? There's a little, there's some other things out there that do a little bit of what eQuest file does. No software does Everything eQuestFile does. Period. Bar none. End the story, Karen. Gotta get it. Gotta get it. So here's the deal. They give you a free trial. So everyone at home listening, you go to eQuestFile.com. Sign up for your free 14-day trial right now. eQuestFile.com. Stop. Hit pause. Go to eQuestFile.com. Sign up immediately. 14-day free trial, Karen. It's a no-brainer. No-brainer. You're going to try this thing out for 14 days. I don't care if you have one horse. Sign up. Try it. It's free. It's free. What's better than free? You're going to love it. And then, when you decide you want to sign up for longer term, you sign up, use promo code MLE20, you save on a subscription, and you're going to love it. This is going to save you time, energy, confusion, and everyone's going to be happy. So... Give it a shot. eQuestFile.com. Thank you so much to these folks for, for creating such an amazing piece of software. eQuestFile.com. Sign up for your 14-day tree fi- tree file free file. Or, sign up for your 14-day free trial. I'm, I'm tongue-twisted, again. I'm so excited. I'm shot <laughs> out of a can. And then use MLA-20 when you decide you're going to purchase it and save some money. Okay. I'm Rob.
2: And I'm Karen. And Rob, super, super special guest today. We say
0: that all the time, Karen. I know. And we mean it. I know. But I mean we mean it a little bit more this time.
2: <laughs> Just a little. Yeah. <laughs> Very excited. I mean, he really doesn't need any sort of introduction. This man
0: needs no introduction, Karen. A
2: Hall of Famer, Olympic gold medalist. We're kind of a little nervous about this interview. Highly nervous right now. <laughs> <laughs> welcome, uh, welcome to the show, David O'Connor.
0: David, welcome Don't
1: to work. the show. Well, thanks thanks for having me. It's great. It's um it's a great honor to be on. I think you guys are doing a great job and um so uh hopefully uh this will be interesting to somebody.
2: <laughs> oh
0: oh yeah, I think oh. so. Fun fact, this isn't David's first time we heard his voice on the podcast. I was getting ready to say that. <laughs> you delivered Danny's uh horse to her.
2: No, her her dog. Or
0: is her dog I mean her dog, yeah. She de- you delivered Danny Roger's right. uh dog. <laughs> Right. Very faintly, you can hear David say, "Delivery, delivery, delivery." <laughs> <laughs> what a character she is, huh? Oh, unbelievable! Great, <laughs> very funny. Oh man, we we love her. We're we're wearing. Um, she gifted us our evil eye bracelets. I'm sure you know about her evil eye bracelets.
1: Oh yeah, I have one on. <laughs> Same with <laughs> us. I, I have mine on. Yeah. My first one. I really like it. My first one lasted almost two and a half years. Now, wow. Which is crazy. Um, you know, and you get nervous about it after a while. But um <laughs> this one I probably had on for six months. So
0: <laughs> uh, truth be told, my my, my other and my other occupation, I work on a data center floor a lot and I'm really worried about this thing deciding it wants to explode on <laughs> on a data center floor someday. <laughs> Everybody panics, but supposed to at least it's supposed to make it go away. So that's the good thing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so if you're, if you're if you're if somewhere some server crashes, it's my evil eye bracelet blew up inside. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, David, we're we're all on lockdown right now. So we're just kind of curious. You're coming to us by phone. Where, whereabouts are you at right now?
1: Yeah, we're in Florida, um, in Ocala, on the facility of uh, Mrs. Mars's that we've been. You know, working for, for I don't know, 27, 28 years now. And um, this facility is um, almost, uh, probably 17 years old. Wow. And uh, so we come down here now in, uh, you know, first of November and <clears throat> do a lot of young horse stuff and starting horses at that time in the off season. And, you know, so much of the season starts early down here. So the young horses get a lot of work down here um, while the older horses are getting ready for the later part of the season. And, um you know, and then this thing is hit. And so we're all on lockdown, too. You know, we've closed down the outside lessons and um so the people are just on the farms. And, you know, even this farm is divided up in sections that are where the barns are. So we're really being very careful not to go in each other's barns. We're just kind of staying, you know, on the outside. You know, so we're not just doing the six feet thing. We're just we're doing the, you know, 100 yard thing. Wow.
3: Um,
1: and... uh you know, and so that, you know, that's worked quite well. But I, I think we're all taking it seriously. I think it's very important to take it seriously. And, um, though, you know, the risk is going to be low for us as horse people because we do live outside, and the main risk is for people that are, you know, in office buildings and living inside and living in, you know, urban areas. And I still think that the responsibility has to be taken globally. I think the responsibility has to be taken <clears throat> uh, nationally. Um, and we are all part of it. So, um, I, I I absolutely definitely feel that this is the right thing to do and uh, we all have to take it seriously for this time and it's very very hard because you don't have an end date you don't we don't know where that is um, we're not in control of it um, but we're lucky that you know in taking care of horses we're you know we are in central business in what has been determined by the state government um, because we take care of our horses and um, we're still lucky to ride and we're still lucky to do a lot of things um, compared to a lot of people, it's really upended their life, and it's yeah. it, it, it's changed part of our lives. But um, you know that we don't get to compete, and we don't get to do that type of side of the business, and we're not teaching, and except for the people that are already here. So you know, but it's you know, it's a fairly minor side to it, really. And um, I think the responsibility for us is to make sure that we're doing our part, just like everybody else is doing their part, and we're not something separate, and we're not something special, but we're just part of. One One the sporting community and two, you know you're part of humanity, and you have to you have to go down that line,
0: yeah absolutely, absolutely, yeah, because it isn't just about hey am I worry about it? am I going to get sick am i going to no. get someone else sick
1: absolutely your, your and course. and it could be it could be <laughs> inadvertent i mean you you could have it you know go to i don't know gas station and kind of pick it up in your hands and you go somewhere else, and there's something that happens before you go wash your hands and you though you don't get it, maybe the other person does get it um and uh I, you know, I, to be honest with you, I had a form of it um, in, uh but it was back in November before the pandemic started, um, but I had the exact same, I mean, exact same symptoms and I don't have, I don't get sick very often and I was coming back from, well, I was doing FEI work and I was in Italy um, and I lost my voice. I was teaching a seminar there and lost my voice fun enough and then three weeks later I went to Russia. For the General Assembly and I got sick in Russia, Russia and the, the virus, you know, the, the whatever hit me, hit me. And then uh, <clears throat> fever, you know, um, came home, isolated myself, had uh, this before anybody, you know, we, anybody knew really what it was. But the symptoms were exactly the same symptoms as what's happening. You get this, you know, deep, deep, deep upper respiratory infection. And uh, I actually took myself to the hospital on like day five because I was getting the shortness of breathing. thing. That wow. was worse. Well, I was worried about pneumonia. Um, the fever probably lasted for two or three days. Um, so, I, you know, I had a form of, you know, whether it was nineteen or Corona seventeen or sixteen or what, whatever. Um, but I definitely had a form of it. And ended. It it's very, very serious because I do really have not. I've been lucky in my life and really not to be sick. And this knocked me out. Wow. This knocked me out. And there were a couple of people around me that got it from that too, and it said it really took them out. Luckily, we all we all beat it. Um, but it is—it's uh, something quite serious.
0: Wow! Well, that's—that's that's a pretty good message. Jeez! Yeah, and that
1: was in—that was before. That was a week before Thanksgiving. Wow! When I had it.
3: Holy smokes! Or, or yeah,
1: you know, or some form of it. You know, or yeah. whether it's X nineteen or it's mutated into something else, but more aggressive probably. But uh, you know, I had a, had a form of it earlier in the at the end of the autumn. season. Wow!
0: Mm, amazing. Man. Amazing! That's. That's scary. That's scary. That's sure
1: not <laughs> well, like, Luckily, we are all here, and, and everybody around me is healthy. So we're, you know, we seem to have gotten gotten through what we got through. Oh, awesome. That's
0: fantastic.
2: Yeah. So, David. Um, well, one thing we love to do is we love to go back and hear your origin story. So, can you tell us how you actually got your start in writing, and then work your way into eventing?
1: Uh, sure. I mean, the main reason I got started in writing is so because my mother told me to do it. Um, <laughs> and anybody that knows Sally O'Connor will know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, you know, she was great. She, you know, she got us into writing, both my brother and I, Brian, you know, who is a commentator. Of, you know of So, um, so, you know, she was pursuing it. She was a rider at that point, back in the early 70s. And, uh, you know, rode up that fair hill, Fun enough, at the intermediate level. And, um then uh, so yeah, we did the Pony Club thing, and yeah, um, we uh, went on that road, and which was very good. Um, Pony Club was quite young then, you know, because it was we were doing it at the uh, you know early '70s, and it was you know started in the late '50s, and so a lot of the same people that were driving it and that started it were the same people that were driving it when we were done, and so the the level was very high. It was a lot of fun. It was uh, I grew up in the Maryland area, Gaithersburg, Maryland. My father worked for the Navy. <clears throat> he was uh, in the, as a naval engineer in the submarine department, which is a whole other story. But <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, and uh, he, uh, so he, you know, he supported it, and Mom got us into it, and we just had the pony thing. We weren't, you know, big show kids. We didn't uh, government salary, so we didn't have a lot of money to go around. Um, but Mom was a huge volunteer, and I think that was a big thing that you know is stated through my whole life because <clears throat> she was a huge volunteer from, uh, you know, on Pawnee Club. Uh, she was part of the original uh, starting of the USCA, U.S. Precious Association. Uh, she was very, very involved in the USCTA back at that point, you know, with uh, um, doing press things and education things. And so, you know, I think we, we just followed her, need, or followed her lead and then kind of went there. My brother, you know, rode up to the, uh, you know, one-star level, preliminary level at that point. Uh, Radnor, you we know, went to um, both of us. Got bees in the clubs Club, um, you know, and I rode Radnor, and, and then I had a kind of a good Radnor um, when I was young. They had a very, <clears throat> it was a, it was a huge trophy at that point, you know, because the sport was so much smaller. Um, everything was a lot more focused, you know. There was just a few three-dippers, yeah. and. uh so, the Harry T. Peters Trophy, which is the Young rider Trophy Junior trophy at that point, um, was a really huge deal. You know we have seventy eighty people in, it. um kind of like the Debrok trophy, which mm-hmm. you know that you know when I was coming up to doing a lot of that guys up that would have a hundred people in it. Um, <clears throat> and so you know, I had done well at Radnor and, and was seen by Jack golf, who was at that point uh, you know the coach yeah. and uh, you know, when I was living in an area where there were a lot of Olympians, and a lot of the Olympians were my mother's friends, you know, they're my sons, the Jim Warford, the, you know, Bruce Davidson, and, you know, mom wrote his first book. Um, so these people were people in my life all the time. And <clears throat> when you were a kid growing up and so you, you know, you just kind of went straight into it and got noticed and you know, went to training sessions with a team. Um, as a young rider and then there was a resident rider program that was there that basically year after the Olympic Games he used to get 30 people from around the world and there was a center in South Hamilton, Massachusetts. And Many would pick used, used to pick, you know, we'd pick four people and those were the people that were stay with him for a couple of years and you would see them in the game. So Bruce came through that program Tad came through that program, and Antowski you know, Torrance uh, all the famous names of uh, of the sport came through that program and I was the last one that was actually selected. So I was, uh, uh, selected there, uh, just one and, you know, spent my next four and a half years with him, which was my university really, um, for learning my sport. So mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's kind of the eventing side. It kind of took off from there. Didn't really know it could go there because, you know, it didn't have really any horses I Had a borrow horse for the training session. Wow. Uh, and, um, You know, so it took off that way. So, I uh, was—that was kind of the venting start. Um, You know, really kind of through my mother, and uh, good break here and there, and being in the right place at the right time, and being around it. You know, a lot because of my mother's influence um, and her own interests. You know, so you you kind of grew up around that thought process a lot. You know, and I think it was uh, a lot. It was very, very helpful for me as going on.
0: Were were you aware? Like, were you in all of all these Olympians that you were around? Like, were you and were you aware of like the opportunity that you were have had by being around all these people?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, in some ways, yeah, because you know, and Bruce helped me w- warm up for Radner when I'm 16 years old. Wow. And Bruce, you know, because he was friend of mom because he, he want some help, you know, he wants some help, and you know, so he helps warm me up for the show jumping, and uh, you know, you're quite honored by you know you're honored by that. You know, he was a world champion at that point. No, because that would have been what, 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 that would have been 1978. I guess. Wow! No, no, uh, 70. yeah, 78. 70, yeah, 78. You know, so he just won his second world championship. Champions, you know, we, we were good friends with Jimmy Wofford, um, and so you know they were all kind of on a first name basis. Um, and so as a kid, to being around that, I think that's a great thing. And they were very open and very helpful about. Um, you know, having a kid that was interested in it. And, um, you know, they were very positive about going on. Um, you know, went to try to be a working student for Jimmy. That horse got hurt. And he actually um, just, you know, a minor injury, but lost the season. He told me to stay, you know, work for him for, you know, like four or five months over the wintertime. Because you've already missed school, so you might as well stay. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, so opportunities like that have been, you know, they, they were great, and, and that's something that we try to do Passing it on, the same thing is to try to give the same opportunities for the kid that has no money, um, that <clears throat> doesn't get to buy their way into the sport. And you try to, you can't do a lot of them because it, you're sponsoring them in some ways. But that's a big thing of mine because that was what was done for me. So I'm definitely going to do it with people that I, you know, have gone, you know, wow. um, and have done it as we've come on. It's like, the, you know, the latest one Mia Farley. You know, it's, she's, you know, she doesn't have a lot of money, but she's here and. Um, you know, she's done very well, but we really try to make everything happen so that she can be one of the stars of the sport, which I do think she could be one of the stars of the sport.
0: Absolutely, yeah, yeah. she's doing fantastic. Yeah, she is yeah. fantastic. Yeah. So, and then you, interestingly, you you did like a a cross country ride with your mother at some time. Could, could, <laughs> can you talk about that? That was uh, that sounds. I, I got to know how that how that happens. <laughs>
1: uh, I always say what I say it in speeches. Every time I always said, you know, she went. Her boys were interested in venting, so she went to the top guys and asked them, for well, you know? What's the most important thing?" And the top guys say, "Cross country experience." And uh, I think she misunderstood. She took that was literal <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, because we went across country. So, um, <laughs> so I was. It actually started as a conversation around dinner. My brother had just read uh, Thor Heyerdahl's Kon-tiki, Um, about the Pacific pi- papyrus, the Norwegian guy that would. Uh, was proving um, where people, anthropologists, that was proving where people came from. And there was a theory that, you know, that some of the pollinations actually came from South America. And so he you know, built this papyrus boat and proved to them that this could happen, should happen. Uh, and it was there was a documentary on it, I think, two or three years ago um, that came out, <clears throat> or they kind of did a, you know, again, movie. And so, you know, dinner, conversation you know that wouldn't be cool to do mom says no that's not you know that's not possible uh, but we could ride to california <laughs> and that's how it started and two years later you know we decided so she decided um that we were going to oregon so we would miss the deserts um the more people told her that she couldn't do it the more that it had to be done um they were <laughs> she got a kid you know got 11-year-old kid and a 13-year-old kid, and, you know, so what? Everybody asked me, you know, why would you go across country? And, I, and again, I'll say the same thing, because my mother told me to. <laughs> uh, you know, and Dad was really supportive of it in his own way, um, and uh, he was, you know, in constant contact with as much as he can, because this was in 1973, so no cell phones, no, you know, <clears throat> music devices, except for a harmonica. Um, you know, you had no... You know, there was no touch with that type of thing. Once you were, what you were going, you were going. And uh, so we rode from here to Oregon, from Maryland to Oregon. We started at White's Ferry um, in Maryland, and uh, you know, three and a half months later, and you know, just under three thousand miles. Uh, we, uh, it was a great, you know, it's a great experience for kids as much as anything for, you know, responsibility, you know, horses, spend time. You know, Brian and I, we actually talk about it quite about, and you know, we. we think about it quite differently, because he was 13 years old and a little bit, you know, rebellious, I think, going through that you know stage <laughs> of his life. He was always in the front. Mom was always second. I was always in the back. And uh, most of the time when I was in the back, I was hundreds of yards behind them. I <laughs> just kind of do thing. something It's <laughs> still typical of me. Um, and so, you know, you get you learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about horses. You learn certainly a lot about the country and how people make a living um because we stayed with everything um we just knocked on people's doors and asked if we could stay wow. Told them what oh mom would tell them what they were doing and people east of the mississippi were going they, were, they would go like you're going where <laughs> and people west of the mississippi would go you're from where <laughs> <laughs> um, so um it's uh yeah, yeah yeah shapes you a lot um it shapes you a lot i think um Probably one of the things that I think about it you know because I actually think about it a lot because I stayed in the horse world and then I'd ride horses all the time and blah, 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 is that one of the things that I <clears throat> reflected on and realized you know really fifteen years later is that I have a huge i uh, have a huge thing about uh time and distance in that uh you know such a modern day world is so much uh you know on a clock you know the time is the most one of the most important uh things that you can have and and uh all demanded by milliseconds or seconds or things like this and you know you're like, yeah, not really. Um because in this thing, um, you know, I uh, you learn that okay, this is the place that I'm going. You know, I'm going you know, we basically did thirty, thirty five miles a day. Yeah, you know, which half an hour in a car. Um, so if you do thirty five miles a day, but you actually don't know if you're gonna get this um for whatever number of different reasons that could come into play. Um, weather or whatever, you don't know if you're going to get there. Now, you know you're going to get there at some point, but you don't know if you're going to get there today. Um, So it changed a lot of, it still changed my thinking about time over distance, you know, that the distance is the most important thing, where you're going, what you're going to do, what you're going to achieve, but you actually don't have a lot of control over the time that you think you're going to get that done in.
0: Wow. That's awesome! It sure is. Wow, that is that is amazing. Were were you? Were, did you pretty much always find a place to stay, or did you guys have like a tent just in yeah, case?
1: We, you yeah, amazingly, we were only turned out three times. Um, <laughs> so, you know, and one because a guy had a stallion. Um, one said no, and the other one just said, "I get too many horses here." Uh, but there's a place right down the road, and um, you know, but we slept on everything. You know, slept outside, slept under on picnic tables. You know, um, lots of uh stockyards you know um across in the mountains and across the that rocky mountains um you know stayed with sheep herders a couple of nights and when we went from uh, jackson hole over to blackfoot idaho um you know because you were following once you were on kind of the lincoln nebraska just just west of lincoln nebraska you following the old oregon trail the oregon trail actually came up from kansas and then follow the Platte River, and then so the Platte River then splits into North Platte and South Platte. and North Platte goes up to Wyoming, uh, makes a turn, and then goes into. Once you're on, then you cross the Continental Divide, and it turns into the Snake River. And the Snake River is what goes through uh, Idaho and and Oregon. And so, really, those old Conestoke wagons, those wagon trains, that Oregon Trail, they all follow rivers and um, <clears throat> water. And you know, it's just the, that's the lecture of life. So yeah, in the end, you. You, you know, we were following the general direction of what the Old Oregon Trail was. was once we got into Nebraska, wow,
0: that is super cool. <laughs> that is, that is so cool. And how about like the horsemanship side of keeping those yeah. horses sound?
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's hard. Uh, I carried the feed across my uh, lap, actually in a duffel bag on oats, and it probably. Well, I think you know, looking back on it, there's probably a couple things. Maybe put a little bit more sweet feed into it, or at least molasses and things like that because a couple of the horses got fairly thin. Every 10 days, we tried to... She uh, had arranged that we would stay with somebody up to Lincoln, Nebraska, um, that we would stay with somebody and stay there for um, two or three days to give the horses a break. And um, we obviously shod them almost every three weeks because their shoes were, um, you know, riding on the side of roads. They would become paper thin. <laughs> and uh, we picked up feed just along the way. Um, my horse off of this... Thing that I was carrying actually developed an effective wither, and somebody gave us a horse to continue on out in Scottsdale, West Nebraska. A guy named Ellis Ruby, um, who had a bunch of uh, just a ton of horses, actually Arabians, but they were more the endurance, the Polish side of the equation, and so um, endurance Arabians. And he had a horse, and he said, "Well, why don't you leave this one here and take this one?" It was actually a kind of a thoroughbred uh, quarter horse. Uh, mix, and I uh, said, so why don't you take him and leave yours here, and you guys continue on with mine, and that's what happened.
0: So, a <laughs> horse straightened along the way. <laughs>
1: uh, and then we picked mine We picked mine up on the way back, and um, and then um, mm-hmm. the same thing happened to my mother's horse a little later on, um, and somebody, again, gave his horse to continue on the trip and to finish
0: the trip. Wow. wow. Do you think something like that would be not not to ride across countries I know like Lainey Ashker's mom did something along those lines not so long ago but like to stop it at just random farms and knocking on the door I mean I wonder if that would fly in today's day and age
1: yeah you know find enough, I forget get asked that a question a lot and I you know I think there is because you know I think one of the things is a mother and two children right so yeah. people became people became protected of it um, and because uh, you know it's not a great time of society is coming out of the war we had, you know the oil embargo that week that year and you know, gas trouble, which wasn't a problem for us. Um, but the, uh, you know, so you, so it wasn't a really, ha- I would say, happy time in history in the United States. So I don't feel, I do feel like you could do it again. I do feel, you know, um, that you could go like that. But it was a very unusual situation again because there was a mother and two children, and there was no support staff. I mean, there was nobody was following us. There was nobody. There were no other things going on. It was just three of us what we had in our saddlebags is what we had. Um, and, um, you know, so I, you know, there's a lot of ways I would say in human nature that I would think you could do it again with those similar conditions that made it successful for us. Wow,
0: man, <laughs> that's, that's an amazing story. That is there such is. an amazing story. <laughs> oh. So, so uh, go on, uh, thanks for sharing that with us. Cause that's like, I I mean I think it gives like a lot of a uh, a basis of of who you are as a person and how you were brought up you know and how the determination and the the drive you must have to have just to be able to just do that I mean
1: yeah phew. yeah and I think so. that self reliance is huge you know you you learn to be self reliant and um, you know a and problem solving person you know and I think those uh, those things held you know held to when you were uh, you know later on you know, because I was 11, not every, every day was perfect. And you know, you, you know, I was, I was an 11-year-old. I think probably food was the biggest thing. You know, that could break your day. You know, if you didn't get lunch. You know, which could have been, <laughs> not, which, which could have been a Snickers bar or something. But the, uh, you know, so not every day was perfect. And Brian actually talks about the grind of it quite a bit because I think, uh, just there was age difference between him and me, um, and uh, but uh, I think the self-reliance is something that. Was uh, you know something that it has held with me for this whole time.
3: Yeah, and
0: no and, dis- li- and go ahead.
1: And Just and being quiet that you have a lot of time to think. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> right. no. yeah, you but get inside your own head for sure. I bet I'll mess inside my own head. Don't ever, don't ever come up to David and complain about how hard your day was, Karen. Yeah, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For sure. So hey, get, getting back to thank you so much for sharing it uh, again. Are, yeah, no, are there it, many pictures of that? There are there.
1: Funny enough, there was a magazine – the Maryland Horse had a um, – the Maryland Horse was a um, thoroughbred magazine in, in Maryland, and then um, they had an offshoot called Horse Play, and, um that ran for probably three or four years, maybe four or five years, and they followed it. My mother wrote a diary, and over – so they and they spread it out over nine months, and uh, we were gone for three and a half, but they spread the whole thing out over nine months, and uh, so there's a written account of it, which I have a copy of. Um and my mother said that she was has write a book and I think she has one in some form or another. Um though we haven't seen it yet. And um we'll uh you know, so there's gonna be an accountant and I think Brian and I will do one at some point because I think it would be really interesting you know. Um uh, yeah. like uh, even a kid's book or something like that. The um because the two of us look at it different. We look at uh, we look at the the trip a little bit different and what we remember what he remembers, what I remember and I think it would be kind of a fascinating story with two people that were on that trip um, looking at it from a a kid's perspective, a 13 year old, 11 year old and how they, how they view the world different a little bit on a trip like that.
0: Right. I can't wait. Oh my gosh. I got, we definitely got to get looking that up and see if we can figure out a a digital (laughs) copy of at least the story until we get the books. Hey, your, your career, obviously you've, olympic and way gold medals and and pan am gold medal i mean you've accomplished so much but so without getting into everything could you share with us you know what would you consider have been your career highlight and a little bit about that experience
1: um sure i mean there's certainly the olympic gold medal you know that's a good weekend (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that kind of works, um, you know, and, you know, especially in our sport where so there's so many um, variables compared to what <clears throat> just compared to life, I would say, you know, obviously in a lot of other sports, the variables are, can be the same of injuries and things. Um, But the uh, but that, you know, that weekend was, you know, obviously very good. But I think that, you know, going back to badminton, what, that badminton win was huge. Um, because it's a sense of history <clears throat> for me. You know, it, for me, the badminton is like the Masters. Um, if you want to have a career, I think that you got to have that on your on your docket. Um, if you want to say that you had one of those careers, um, which I think as me, I was lucky enough to say that I could have one. I had one of those careers, um, and uh, badminton was a huge, huge thing to win. Um, and then after that, for me, it's the body of work. You know, it's uh, 25 years from you know, doing my first. Uh, you know, what now you call a CCI, uh, 1978 as a kid. And then, you know, your last event is 2004. Uh, You know, so over that time to, you know, have the ups and downs, and I had more ups than uh, probably deserved, but they, you know, that, that body of work, I think, was, um, I I look back on that side of the equation, and I'm very proud of that body of work that you were a player, <clears throat> you know, and you were one of the top players, um, you know, in the country, and you're obviously one of the top players in the world. And whatever event you went to, everybody knew that, and and so you were one of that group that was going head to head against each other, and um, you know, certainly at that time that Karen and I lived in England. You know, you've you got putting. You jumped into the middle of the frying pan for that reason. You know, to go after the other guys that were best in the world um, at that time, um, and that intensity that that brings to the table um, when you're at that level, um, I think is exciting, and I think it is uh, it it drives you to be better if you have that type of mindset. You know, yeah. there's not fairy dust that's going to be sprinkled on your head if you go to England and you're suddenly going to be competitive. Yeah. It is, you have to be competitive before you went over there, and I'm going to beat them, and went over there and did. And that, you know, that being a player for that, you know, run of 12 or 13, 14 years, and you were one of the, one of the people in, a, in the world, uh, you know, that's, that's something to be proud of when you look back on it.
0: Yeah. And you had the stars and stripes on your on your saddle pad. Oh, yeah. Representing—that was amazing. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's what. Yeah, no, big no, deal. I, were, I think
1: when you, you, know, when you make a team, there's no question. I always thought it was a job. You know, you have a you have a job. Your job is to you know leave the least amount of points on the table that you can. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, so that means you know, putting that whole package together two or three years before, of working out the, the details in your mind and working on the techniques that you have and having the horse understand it because if they don't understand it, you're not going to get there. And having them understand it and like it and, and they'll fight for you um, a, as a way of training, I think that is, uh, you know, that's the level of thought process that you're living in. And obviously doing with Karen here, you know, we're all in the same house and doing that and she's playing the same level, you know, that was, you know, it was it was a cool time for that where you felt, you know, for a short time, you felt like, you were playing at a different level than other people were playing. Um, and, um, you know, and every, every, you know, top sportsman has that feeling that, you know, it doesn't last forever. Um, but it does, there was a time where you felt like you were playing at, at a different level. And, um, you know, so that's something that's fun to look back on.
0: You were like the Michael Jordan. Of like the mid nineties,
1: you know. Was like <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, yeah, I don't know if that could be ever compared to him, but the, you know, I was watching a thing on, uh, you know, I love the, the TV show uh, Undeniable with Joe Buck and um, Dan, Dan Patrick. You know that where they take top sports people and they interview them. Ninety percent of them cry on the thing. Um, it is really good because the people are looking back on their careers and they. You know, and they all talk about it at the time. There was a time then where the things came together for, for whatever and there was you felt like you were playing at a different level. And, you know, I had that for a short time. It was a you know, it was a it's a fun time. You know, it's a a great thing. And and it doesn't last forever and it, it's impermeable. So you have to go on and can't recreate the same thing over and over and over again. So that's impossible. Um, but for a time it was uh it was quite exciting
0: wow mm. and then you and karen obviously were i mean that must have been amazing to be on a podium with your wife and the in, as well
1: yeah i mean you know you we don't really you know to think about it as you know a job you know when you're on a team you're doing your job you're going down there and then you suddenly towards the end of it when you realize that you're actually doing your job and it's going to work you look around and you're like Holy my God and, and certainly that that worked, and then my first game um, you know, was at uh, Atlanta i was I was supposed to go before, but you know through injuries at last minute before Barcelona and so like that, so I, I didn't end up going that's a bad day um, and uh, you know so then the first one, so we go there, and it works, you know so we have, we have um, success, we win the silver medal and horses were good and we were good, and they came through well and um you know, and then then you're at home, you know, in Atlanta. The so crowd's a slightly partisan. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, to have that, you suddenly look around and you don't really realize it until afterwards. You know, when you look around or just as it's ending, you're like, oh, my God, that actually is one of those things that worked. And that's the one of those things that you watch on TV. That's one of those things. And here you are the person on that because it worked. And then NBC obviously picked us up because we're husband and wife, and we can speak. Um, <laughs> and um, they picked it up, and then they started to run with it. And uh, you know, they that ran all the way through Sydney, and Sydney worked again. Um, and um, you know, so it was a it was a time of playing those of playing that level that was you know quite exciting. The horses were good. Um, we felt like we were, you know, in command of our, of our things, we were working on technique all the time, but we felt like you were in command of the game, uh, your own personal game. Um, and, uh, you know, so, and we had that, both of those runs together, which was, you know, pretty, you know, pretty amazing because it doesn't happen very often. Um, and, you know, I think the only couple that was in a summer sport, you know, because you'll do. Winter sports with ice skating, sometimes, uh, you know, those guys were married or have a relationship like that. But I think we were the first summer people that were set, was standing on a podium together. So, exactly. you know, the person you want to share it with the most is actually standing, you know, six inches away from you.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> that is awesome. amazing. we got to get Karen on soon. So oh, hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. hopefully you it. can put a word in for us with Karen, too. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We love that. Now, and, and work, obviously, when you surround yourself with other top athletes you know you you can't go wrong, it elevates everyone game but to to be right there with your wife and have her training with you what was that like did you guys um did you guys ever c- coach each other or how did you keep that or did you keep like a dividing line where you just each did your own thing?
1: yeah, there were rules um there were rules that we came up with <laughs> that I think you know they're both um International, you know, top athletes with all of that, that brings with it. There's a manic side to it. Um, There is, you know, a very emotional side to it. And there's an intellectual side to it. And you really did um, respect that from the other person. And so we really didn't work together. I mean, we would ride in a ring together, but we weren't that much helping each other. Um, So we always had a thing. Our rules were is that you didn't. Uh, say something, even if you didn't like what you were saying, you didn't say something unless if you were asked. That that's was a, the number one rule. That's and if rule. you were asked, if you were asked, you know, I would ask Karen, what do you think of this? Does this look, you know, and, and then the second rule was, then you had to hear it.
0: Oh yeah! <laughs> don't ask a question you don't want the answer to. Yeah, it.
1: So you don't you don't get it both ways. It's like you don't you don't you don't ask, and then you're like, and then you tell them to go you know go somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so the first part was that you didn't you didn't you didn't say anything until yes, and and then the second thing you had to hear. It. So those were those were rules that we kept really lived by on a day by day basis, and it really worked for us. Um, and uh, because we totally respected what the other person was doing, and there were strengths and weaknesses that I had. Um, there were strengths and weaknesses that she had. They actually complemented each other. But you weren't going to go there unless if they asked. Either way. And, uh, and I think that worked out very well
0: for us. Yeah.
2: It sure That's did. Smart. Smart. Oh,
0: yeah. Very smart. That's very smart. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, um, you know, obviously we could talk about everything you've done over the years forever, but just keeping it moving along currently can you tell us a little bit about what the current operation is for o'connor equestrian david o'connor um i know you've worked with different teams i don't know if you're still with team canada could you tell us a little bit about when we're not quarantined down what's what is your (laughs) business these days yeah
1: yeah i've always been i think i've always been a teacher person and an educator person and so that's the side that really i enjoy study um and uh, so basically, you know, I'm on the education side of the equation um, with people that come in, students that are apprentices here that, you know, learn the craft uh, that are usually here for a number of years. Um, a lot of people that are, you know, have, that are, have come through this program that were here for a number of years, um, and uh, which is always something that I was wanted much more than, you know, am I going to get ready for the young riders in three months? You know, fine. I actually want to you know, le- learn how to ride. Um, Because that's basically a philosophy of mine. If you ride well, your horses will go better. Um, So riding well has got to be your number one thing. The technique of how you do it, the philosophy, how you do it, the attitude, how you you do it, the theory of how you do it. And then, which has to be really, really solid. You talk about a Michael Jordan. That would have been his strength. And then, um, then after that, you really, you know, you talk about that. Then it's... The competitive personality it comes from really within and uh, so that is kind of what we try to teach here so it's a longer-term program um, and I enjoy the that probably the most thing that I enjoy the most of anything that I do is taking probably that 19 year old person and 24 year to 24 and having an influence on their uh, way of life um, course wise and a little bit personal um, and just having them as apprentices and that's probably the thing that I personally enjoy the most uh, of of anything that I do um, and uh, I still ride all the time I still uh, I don't compete that often every once in a while you might play around but it's only for fun and uh, but I still ride every day and uh, enjoy that and we switch horses around a lot of times even with uh, apprentices where Talking about, you know, we just we, we just ride together. It's not just standing in a ring all the time. It's we just ride together. We'll switch horses. We'll play around with stuff, and I think that's a great way to learn. It's a way I learned from Jack a lot, um, and so that's kind of what I enjoy. Karen also does the same thing quite a lot. She teaches a lot um, and helps that a lot with people. More for people that are coming in and out. Um, I tend to do the people that are staying here a lot. Yeah, you know, well though we switch around, you know, and obviously everything the the kids get a lot from everybody. The um and the Karen does some sales, you know. I don't I don't really probably enjoy the sales business that much, so um Karen is good at it and has connections that are very useful for around the world so you know, people are starting to use that. Um for, you know, finding horses at all different levels. So that's the, that's kind of the business. It's, uh, we also are here at Mrs. Mars's, um, at Still after 20 some odd years. And, uh, you know, Lauren Kiefer is the main rider here and Hannah Burnett is, is a rider. And so you're kind of overseeing that. You're kind of just keeping tabs on it. Um, I ride usually, uh, ride for Lauren quite a bit, just a horse or two a day, usually here and there. Again, we're just riding together. Um, but it's actually just a, it's the mentor side of the equation. It's not a coaching situation. It's not a it's not an instructor situation now they are at the level where it's really a mentor situation so that mentorship is conversations more than um uh lessons or anything like that um and then I'm there to support them as much as they need in a in a big competition and that is driven as much as they uh need um and so I very rarely, very rarely step in unless there's something that you just see as totally off of place, you know? Um, so it's a, you know, it's a really fun thing because I got, I get top athletes that to work with, I get the Canadian athletes that I really, really enjoy. And um, I'm excited to, for the future for them because what I see in another couple of years with the horses that are coming up the road, I think the Canadians will be very competitive again. Um, so I see that in the future. I really enjoy, you know, I'm blessed that I got a lot of top athletes and the, apprentices that I have um, here on the program that choose to be here, these are some of the top people in the country. So I'm surrounded by talent all the time, and I really enjoy that. Um, And I feel like I'm a little bit blessed and spoiled with just the level of talent that I have around all the time that we're working. So... You're, I I enjoy that,
0: right? And when when do do you have? Uh, are there still openings? Like once once this all kind of passes, do you still have openings for people to come in and 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 get up with you, or are you pre- at capacity now?
1: Yeah, no, it's uh, there were the people that in Florida, there's a lot of people that ship down here, you know, that work a tremendous amount with us during the winter time, and then they meet us in Virginia, and there are people that will. There's some people that live there locally, or there's other people that ship in for two or three days, you know, and then the people that have, you know, been with for a long time, and then there's, you know, you'll you'll get some new ones because I, I I don't teach a lot of clinics, but I teach clinics, and then they'll they'll say, can I come spend you know a couple months here, uh, and then we try to find a way to do that, um, and that works out quite well.
0: Yeah, we were just talking to Charlotte Collier. We had her yeah. as a guest not too long ago, and she yep. was you know she's still relatively recently moved her program over with you guys and she just uh, yeah. she couldn't say enough good things about karen and and you and how uh, you're you what the way you're talking about mentorship it really is what it, she yeah. she didn't use those words but it sounded like it. she could be out there trotting doing trot sets and you would ride up on your bike and just try to just fine-tune and hone every every aspect and i, I just think that's fantastic
1: yeah, and I and I'm not a believer in micromanaging at all. Yeah, we really try to get people to learn how to uh, feel and think, um, and so a lot of what we'll talk about is we're you know they'll be trotting around or or maybe they're having an issue and they're like, okay, so what directions can you go here? Right? What are your options? Um, and have these conversations with them and have them you know learn from that. Thing, instead of instead of micromanaging, because I, I don't I'm not I am i do not believe in micromanaging. I don't believe it as a philosophy. I don't believe it as a um, thought process uh, because I think it stops people from thinking and growing. And I think the the what you're trying to do is teach people how to think. You know, feel what they feel underneath them. Think their way. Um, have a program that is progressive that is going to lead somewhere, and um, think their way through it. And um, so I, I would really hope that's that's the main thing that we're trying to do is teach people. How to think and manage themselves, and then they can manage their horses. If they can't manage themselves, they can't manage their horses.
3: Right.
0: Well, your your recipe is definitely working <laughs> with your, <laughs> all the people that have come out under you know th- through your program. It's just, it's just incredible. It's incredible.
1: Yeah, that, that's another thing to be proud of. You know, at this point, looking back, you know, the number of people that are riding, you know, up close to the team level or on the team level that have come had formative years, here and they're all on their own now, but. But have had the formative years here. You know that you're, you can be proud of that.
3: Yeah, and Actually,
1: most of us, you know, are still very close. Um, you know, we've—they uh, always say from coaches, you know, how many weddings. You know, you can define yourself on a coach how many weddings you
0: get invited to. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well, now that's and, a legacy. The the legacy, a legacy. You know, obviously, all of your accolades and the medals that you have, you know, hanging. Um, the, the, those are one legacy. But then also the the contribution to the sport through people that have come through your program and flourished. That is that is that's a legacy that just will, will perpetuate. You know, because now those yep. people are teaching. It's it's incredible.
1: I would hope so. And then you know, on the other side is the volunteer side. Again, probably really through the example of my mother, the volunteer side that we do through the. Federation, you know, tapped on the shoulder early um, by some people like Jimmy Wofford, tapping on the shoulder, said, you need, to, you need to do some committee work. And that was, I was in my 20s. Um, and uh, I don't believe the volunteer work the volunteer side from the athletes now is strong enough. I will say that as a criticism right now, and I'll say it as many times as out loud as I can, because I, I don't believe that is strong enough. Um, no, I mean, there are some good examples, but as a general whole, you know, the sport's too small, you know, to leave it. And we were all tapped on the shoulder, told to be custo- custodians um, early. And I'm um, very glad because it takes a while to learn, you know, how do you work um, in a governance structure, in a nonprofit governance structure. And that, you know, that took off in directions that I'd never expected, um, you know, ended up being president of the federation for 10 years and um, one never was even thinking about doing some projects. <laughs> and it, it,
0: you're, you're and even then, I, I saw a video like pictures of you not, not too long ago, even like being like the ring steward at a at a local show. Like
1: <laughs> Yes, yeah, I'm a bit yeah, i a, a local show, Nocala, they were you know, they were struggling, you know, with volunteers and all like and I, said, oh, yeah. and I said, Hey, I'm staying here, I'll i help you know and just um started to do the ring steward thing and just, you know, why not? I think if you, you just have to you just have to jump in. We're you have to be volunteers, and yeah. uh, you know all of the federation work, or all the work that I do with the FBI now, as chairman of the FBI committee. Um, you know that's still all volunteer. You know there's there's no payment, there's no paid position out of that. And I think it's just uh, a necessary part because the sport is small. It's a necessary part for us to take care of it, and us to care take care of it to pass it on to somebody else. If we don't, it just won't keep going.
2: Yeah. Right. That's um,
1: leading by example. So I'm just
0: adamant about it. Yeah, Leading by example. I absolutely love it. Love it.
2: Yep. So, David, we are going to have a little bit of fun. We're going to play quick fire uh-oh. questions. Quick fire
0: questions. Look so, at that. This is when Karen zings you. <laughs>
2: just five questions just to get to know you just a little bit better. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you didn't get into horses, what do you think you would be doing right now? Oh,
0: good question. Music. Music.
2: music. Okay. Wow. Yep. All right. What, absolutely. Kind, what kind of music?
1: know uh, enough, I was a uh, vocalist, um, and all the way through high school and uh, start my college years, um, sang with the London Choir um, wow. when I lived over there. So yeah, I'd be into the vocal. I, mean, I don't know if I would have been a famous soloist or anything like that, but probably would have gotten into some directing, teaching still jobs, but there would definitely be in the music. Wow.
2: wow. Okay. All right. Do you have any hobbies outside of horses?
1: Uh Golf. Um, I really enjoy golf and, uh, I'm a big, huge, huge reader.
2: Awesome. Okay. All right. If you could try a different discipline, what would it be? <laughs> uh,
1: you mean discipline within the horse world? Yeah.
2: Within the horse world.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, that would be, uh, I, would I would oh. I I I'm not. I'm not really quite sure. If, fun enough. I'm not quite sure if it wouldn't be more in the Western world. That's what I was thinking. Uh, I could see you as a cutting, rainer, like cutting or something like that. Yeah,
0: yeah I, I could get, see you as a rainer. I don't
1: know. I, I, I enjoy cutting and raining. I've sat on top horses of both, and actually took a cutting clinic for like five days. Really, um, down with yeah Leon Harold down in in Texas, uh, Kerrville, Texas, um, and loved it. I, I, you know, I, it taught me a lot. You know about quickness and thinking and horses playing games so, yeah i would probably say <laughs> that side very cool
2: very cool okay growing up who were you a fan of uh as a rider
1: uh yeah i, I, I there's no question i'd have to say you know the first one would have been bruce yeah you know, was such a beautiful cross-country rider uh you know and then getting to ride on teams with him later on was wow. was a great honor but the uh you know, he, he was a beautiful, beautiful cross-country rider. you know, a very, very tough competitor, very tough person to be around in, when he was in this competitive mode. But, um, you know, just as a pure cross-country rider, um, you know, I just think he was fantastic. Yeah.
3: Legend.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Last question. If you could ride any horse, past, present, or fiction, who would it be?
1: In in an eventing world?
2: Uh, any Anything. It could be anything.
1: I might have to pick multiple ones here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, There's no rules. I would have I loved to take Bico Cross Country or competed in.
0: Very cool. Oh, yeah. There you go. And then
1: I would have loved to sit on Milton. As oh, a Milton. Jumper.
0: Who's Milton? Who's Milton?
1: Milton is a horse that um, John Whitaker rode back in the 80s. Um, I think one of the first million-dollar horses there were. Wow. Uh, wow. That won a million dollars. Um, I was living in England at the time, so nineteen ninety he was in the final four in the world championships um but Milton <laughs> who is Milton yeah you that's know, funny that's for me you know um so that the yeah that uh, sitting on a horse like Milton as a show jumper pure show jumper, he was uh iconic and just amazing to watch all the time and
0: so consistent just over and over and over and over yeah. and over that's awesome, that's awesome more is that it?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that's. I think that would be it. They're, yeah, the they're good hit. ones. Those oh, are yeah. good
2: ones. That's awesome. Oh, so A plus plus. A plus plus. Of course, from the legendary <laughs> David
0: O'Connor is going to score <laughs> A plus plus on that. You know, it's kind of funny. We had. Now I'm not going to do this to you. We had Robert Costello on, and he's a musician, and we actually had him not too long. He played the piano for us on the show. So <laughs> it's out there. If you want to do a little little couple, yeah. Parts. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> He's still, practice- he's still practicing. <laughs> yeah. It was so funny because he, he mentioned it, and I said, Hey, is there any chance the piano's close by? And he kind of was like, Well, it just happens to be there. <laughs>
1: yeah, he's still practicing. We've done some things together uh, every once in a while, you know, in our past and uh, just coming up and doing things for other. I sang, remember I, I sang a tribute to General Burton um, when he retired wow. uh, at, for the USEA. And there's a wonderful song out of Holiday Inn, you know, the Bing Crosby thing? Uh, you know, the very famous White Christmas? Yeah.
3: yeah.
1: Uh, uh, right. So there's another song in there and, and uh, about the general, what do generals do when they retire? And I actually sang that to him on his retirement for the USCA. So. Oh, that's, that's awesome. so It's very hard to get me to sing in public.
0: <laughs> like <laughs> That would have put a cramp on your singing career if that was the case. (laughs) Like, see it, you know, just can't do it in public.
2: Oh,
0: goodness. (laughs) Yes, that's true.
2: So as we wind things down, do you have any advice for a rider trying to make it in this sport?
1: I think the biggest thing is you got to put yourself around the best people that you can find. Um, And don't be average. Um, you know keep knocking on doors it's amazing what people will give you when you give them 100% they'll give a lot of stuff back to you Um, and so you have to put yourself around and surround yourself by the best in the world that's the thing that is uh, you know just a lesson for as anywhere to go. don't be mediocre don't think you're going to do it for the backwoods Um, put yourself in that frying pan so that the only thing you see around you is excellence and uh, that will raise your game a lot um, just by being around that thought process. And as I said, everything that you see is of a level. So I think that is probably the main advice. And, and then also thinking about, that. Uh, fun enough, you have to be one patient in the world because the horse doesn't know um, that Kentucky is next week. <laughs> they don't know the Olympic Games is next week. They have no clue. Um and so to make sure that the horses understand your um w- what they need to do in order to fulfill really your ambition. Um and not take it out them not take it out on them that they don't understand, um, because horses just don't think that way. And I think the patience for the horse <clears throat> that empathy for the horse has just gotta be a driving force. Um so that's the great thing about our sport was strive for ambition. At the same time, have to be balanced with the empathy of dealing with a horse that doesn't, or an animal that doesn't speak human um, and have them understand it, like it and enjoy it. Um, that is the wonderful balance of what we do as a life.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Great, great advice. advice. Oh yeah.
1: Love it, man.
0: <laughs> so happy we had David. on camera. care. This is the best. <laughs> So, David, uh, just and as we wind down, like is there is there um, h- how do people f- f- get a hold of you? Is there uh, the website, uh, email address, or anything like that you want to give out if anyone wants to get up with you? Or?
1: Yeah, no, I mean they, we have a website um, or the Facebook page, O'Connor you know, Equestrian. I think now the Facebook page is probably a f- faster way to do it. Okay, um, and um, you know for people to be like, an, um, th- that's really the best way. To- to kind of go on gotcha um, I'm a terrible uh, communicator by email and things like that so I'm terrible at it <laughs> so, uh, just, luckily every time I was president or there was always somebody that could help me around doing that so uh, but it's terrible on my own to do it Yeah, that's <laughs> so the-, the Facebook page is the best is the best way to really kind of find out what we're doing and What's available and where clinics are. The care and I are teaching. I'm kind of doing a tour through Canada for talent spotting and coach education and all that kind of stuff. So we're doing a really eighteen month program through Canada that is going that is designed for one some talent spotting and also uh, coaching education. Um, so that is a that's kind of a direction I'm going down in this next uh, really two years.
0: Right. Okay. And you were always. I, I, I know I, I said I was going to let you go, but just one more thing. Like you were 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 you the man behind, like the under eighteen, under the under twenty five program in the USCA. Yeah, that yeah. was your that was your brainchild. Yeah,
1: yeah, we started it. I started it right when we when I started that job. Um, I really felt like um, it's very important for <clears throat> you know it's what people did to me in the end, and um, so we, and so I really do feel. Or people like us, like you know the Bruces and the Tads and the Mary Antelisks, or all the legends of really of the time that I was growing up. Those were the programs that they were coming through a little bit, a little bit different. But so I really wanted to go with the under eighteen, under twenty five program. The under twenty five program is something where you're going to start to see whether somebody's going to start to, you know, do they have the mentality to play the game. The under eight. So if you got two people out of thirty out of that that were someday going to ride at the top level or maybe ride for a team, that's going to be a success rate. In the under eighteen, it's going to go down. If you get ten percent, if you got one out of ten, um, you're um, or one out of fifteen, or maybe even one out of twenty. I still think that's a success rate um, with that. The but the thing about it is and if if this the thought process was like at least what has happened is that everybody started to hear the same message, and so that though they might not uh, ride for the team for the future, they will. They'll be better riders, and they're going to pass it on, and it's going to it's going to pervade through the the sport. This this thought process, this way of doing things, this, this theoretical side and technical side of riding instead of just, you know, lighting your hair on fire and your eyes are about so they and just hoping you're going to, you know, make it, which I think is totally inappropriate for our sport. And so that was really the idea behind it is like they would hear the message and they were camp styles. They you know, we have blacksmiths and farriers and feeding and um, veterinarians and, and we'd go, we'd just go through it all. And they would be there year a little bit of year after year, so it would start to get ingrained. And if you measured it just off the number of people that were the success um, that were going to ride for the team in the future, I think then you misunderstood the point. And, uh, and I think and I think that's a dangerous thing to do because we have to make sure that we are investing in this in that group because they are going to be the ones that are going to be whether they're sitting on committees or they're um, They're the leaders of the future, some of them are going to ride on the team, some of them are not, but they're going to be leaders, they're going to stay in the sport, and they're going to be the next generation that's on the U.S.E.A. And so we need to invest, and we need to invest in them now. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. I love it. And what do you think of the impact of having a second five-star on North American soil will have?
1: Well, this year it's going to be huge because it's, be, it's, it's, be be be, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be the only one. it's going to be the so it's going to be pretty huge. <laughs> um, and and I do think it's going to be good. That the you know the question will be the number of horses. You know, it won't be as strong as let's say Kentucky, um, and uh, because of the number of horses that in every year that go to world championships or go to the Olympic games or or do whatever them, you know, because the the games things are all in the autumn, you know, so you take those horses out of play so you won't have the number of horses that you'll have at Kentucky um, and I do believe that there has, hopefully there's going to be investment to bring some Europeans over um, because I think that's very important um, the site is fantastic and I've you know and I've grown up on that site I've known it since I was eight years old wow. um, and uh, I know every piece of ground on that thing from pony club you know up to you know competing and I just think it's the most magic piece of ground and what their investment is and great um, So it really is a legacy piece um, and a beautiful, fantastic place to have that level of competition that rivals, you know, anywhere in the world. Um, So the the whole thing, I do think there's going to have to be investment to bring horses over to Europe so we do have the true competition that we're all looking for.
0: Absolutely, mm-hmm. I love it. Karen and I were just at Fairhill. We were we, were, we snuck onto the new five star side. I don't know if yep. we were really allowed or not. Yeah, but I we don't kinda, think we
2: were. But we did
0: the old. We will just break we the rule and <laughs> ask for forgiveness later. But then what we did was then we went back over to the the, the side we all know so well. And cool oh, thing, the cool thing, yep, we got her. And the thing we love so much about that side too is a lot of the old cross country is still intact, you know, with trees growing around it and everything. And it's just, uh, it's fun to look back and just to, you know, we were just on this one area with like three steps and we're like, wow, you know, like how many legends went up and down yeah. this, this, you know,
1: well, back was? in the, you know, i would say back in the day, you know, back in the 1890s when I was competing, it was so <laughs> the, um, you know, when we were doing, you know, full formats there and we were doing, you know, 11-minute courses and all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, it was a... I think one, you know, for that level, we was Kentucky was in this level low, low higher, but for that level, it was the most educational piece of ground for our horses preparing for, you know, all the games and all that kind of stuff that we had in the country. It um, produced a lot of really good horses. And because it was tough, you had to be ready. You You felt... When you ran around Fair Hill, at, in, in those days especially, and, I, and, and to a certain degree now, though the endurance side is not as strong, um, you knew your horse was going to be a four-star for horse or you knew this is the top of his game. And you knew that when you ran around Fair Hill. You knew he was going up or, okay, he doesn't have a lot more in him. And you knew that. And there was one of the few courses in the world when you came off of that course, you knew whether you were going up or you were... Um if you were listened um that you were going up and you had a you had a true four star horse or you were you were just playing the, playing this game at this level um and you knew that there, and I always thought it was such a fabulous experience um and I always loved going to fairhill i'm gonna not no yeah, I won it a bunch of times, but it was I just <laughs> loved it for what I knew about what the horses would be able to do and where they were going to go, and what you knew from it, and I always thought it was truly one of the very most competitive um long formats in the in the country yeah,
0: yeah. wow, uh. well that's awesome. We live right down the road, and we just love it I love it. we're pretty yeah, cool people too we're, we're we're we were from. Or we were in Delaware Pony Club. Yeah,
2: Delaware Pony Club, and, yeah.
0: uh, which was the old, I think Maryland Pony Club uh, at one time.
2: The, actually, the old Fair Hill. Pony oh, the old Fair Club. Hill Pony mm-hmm. Club. Right. Yeah.
0: I was. Yeah, I was Rev
1: Hunt. So yeah. oh, we yeah. we did our camps and all that kind of stuff. I slept under those you know, the bleachers. We, yeah. you know, in that building right by the bleachers, that was always the boys' place. We always used to go out and top of the bleachers and, you know, watch go out. You know, when you're not supposed to be out, that's where <laughs> we went. Kids um, so we do um and all of the shed road barns down at the bottom. Yeah, yeah, I mean I I grew up there. I mean basically when I was a kid we went there all the time. Wow. Yeah,
0: that's awesome. That's such that's such a great piece of ground. So Yeah. Well, listen David, Karen, was this fantastic. This is awesome. Holy smokes. It's, it's it's such a treat to talk to one of our uh, you know idols in the sport, Karen. So oh, yeah. David, thank you so much for joining us and thank you for everything you do for the sport, what you've done for the sport, what you do currently and and for, you know, training up so many riders to that, that's going to really be, be so great in the future of, of, of American eventing.
1: Well, thank you. I really, uh, thanks for having me on. You know, it's a, it's a fantastic life to live. That's for sure. So it's, um, you know, it, we all feel very blessed and we'll get through what we're getting through now and um, come out the other end. And we're just still so lucky that we're dealing with horses every day. You know, not, not a lot of people uh, have that uh, luxury.
2: Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. You can leave us a review on Apple iTunes or visit us at MajorLeakEventing.com. Cheers!